Hi, I'm Gabriel Carrillo from the EdTech Bytes Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Coming up on episode 76 of Podcast PD, it's me and AJ, and we are talking about challenging topics in education. In this episode, we had a diverse panel of guests tackling this topic, focusing on racism and how we can have these conversations with our students so they are more informed and they can be the change in the world. Yeah, this is the beginning of many conversations to come, and we figured that this would be the best place to start. Let's start the show. This is Podcast PD, the show that provides you with anytime, anywhere professional development. Our conversations and guests will provide you with the learning you might get in a faculty meeting or on a PD day. Except you're going to have more fun with AJ Bianco, Stacey Lindis, and me, Chris Nessie. Let's start the show. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Uh, people might be listening to this, who knows when, but we are live here. It is Sunday night, June 7th, 2020. It's 8.30 p.m., Welcome to another episode of Podcast PD. My name is Chris Nessie, at Mr. Nessie on Twitter, also the host of the House of EdTech podcast. And I am joined, as always, on a Sunday night by my podcast compadre, AJ Bianco. What is up, AJ? What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We are very excited to bring you episode 76. This is one that we uh, we feel good about. Some, something a little bit different feel, but we are excited to bring this one to you. We are excited. Uh, again, this is going to be drastically different than our last episode, which was much lighter in fare as we talked about anything but education. We we learned that AJ likes certain baseball sports movies, and I'm partial to certain uh, mafia movies. So if you missed that episode, you're going to want to go to podcastpd.com slash 75. And uh, if you're not subscribed to the podcast on your podcast listening device, go to podcastpd.com dot com slash go and uh it will take you where you need to be to have us with you every other week so aj what are we talking about tonight so tonight our focus of episode 76 is how are we going to navigate challenging conversations in the classroom for our students so in the current world we're living in we know that there are some major major issues that are dividing us as a country so we want to make sure that we're here to help you have those conversations with students. Uh, we know we're coming to the end of the school year here in New Jersey. Um, some people might have finished, but going forward, hopefully we can have these conversations with our students so they know what they can do to really change our world. And actually, real quick, if you are watching us on Periscope, that is awesome. But if you want to be a part of where the action is at, you're going to want to head to podcastpd.com slash live, where we are on YouTube, where you can participate in the live chat. And if you want to join us during the recording and broadcasting of this episode, you can go to podcastpd.com slash live. And we do have, uh, we have two people waiting, three people waiting. So AJ, what do you say we bring them in and you introduce the, uh, the plethora of voices that you've got for us tonight? Let's bring them in. Let's do it. All right. I don't know who it is. It's a surprise to me. So let's go. Uh, Yeah. AJ can't see. You don't see what I see. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, so let us bring in Maria Fernandez. Hello, Maria. Hello. 
Hi, Maria. We are also joined by Sarah Johnson. Good evening, Sarah. Hello, gentlemen and Maria. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. And we are also joined by Mr. Joshua Stamper. Good evening, Josh. Good evening. Oh, you guys are awesome. Thank you all for joining. I know we're going to have some people popping in throughout the the episode as well, but you know, you guys are kicking it off and this is really, really powerful. So thank you. Thank you so much for answering the call. So uh, Maria, first, before we get started, let's introduce everybody out there. So Maria, tell us a little quick something about yourself besides an educator from New Jersey. Um, should I start? I guess I'll start with saying that I'm an educator for four years. Um, I also am the advisor of a class of 2023, the student government. I coach basketball and I'm also a site manager in the school. Outside of school right now, I'm doing, uh, I'm going to grad school for educatorship. I'm also in network marketing for a hair and skincare luxury brand. Um, and right now I'm just taking a lot of the time to learn and grow and reflect and be better so that I can bring that to the children and, and to the kids and to have these conversations that now we're going to talk about here. So I'm really happy to be here with you guys tonight or today, right, wherever, whatever it is. Thank you, Maria. Sarah, how about a rundown from you? Thank you for joining us. Hey, everyone. By the way, I had no idea my friend Joshua was going to be here, so I'm super excited about that. (laughs) I also didn't prepare for what was going to be behind me, so that's kind of fun. Um, You never know when your kids are in your home office. But anyway, I'm Sarah Johnson. I am, um, by trade, a 6 or 12 English teacher. I've been a building principal. I've served at elementary and uh, high school levels. And right now, I am working in consulting and leadership coaching. I'm a professor for educational leaders here in the state of Wisconsin. And like Maria said, I'm spending a lot of good time. I've probably been on the journey for studying um, more current ideas about what it means to learn and unlearn um, about white supremacy in our country for approximately the last year. So very interested in this topic. Thank you. And through the magic of television, we're also joined (laughs) now behind the scenes. Welcome also to the broadcast Freddie Nunez. How are you, Freddie? Hey, how you doing, Chris? What's up, guys? Doing well. Nice to hey, see you. Freddie. Thank you. Hey, Freddie. Nice to be seen. Josh, you mind introducing your, uh, yourself to our people, please? Yeah. And I was intentional. So, Sarah, you can see my uh, Minnesota representation here. Yes. That's for you. KG. Um, <laughs> so, I'm Joshua Stamper. I'm an assistant principal in the North Texas area. I started my journey, my educational journey, as an art teacher and a coach. And um, did that for six years, and now I've been an assistant principal for seven. And then, in addition to being an administrator, I'm also the creator of a podcast for aspiring leaders called Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast. Thank you, Josh. Freddie, real quick, you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Freddie Nunez. I'm a vice principal in the Newark Public Schools, Barringer High School, one of the third oldest high school in the nation, believe it or not. Um, my educational journey started in Elizabeth. Uh, I was a bilingual ESL teacher, and then I went out to Hackensack and taught there. And um, and I've been an administrator for the past eight years as a department supervisor, and now this is uh, my first year as a vice principal. I'm also an adjunct professor at uh, County College, So uh, and I've been in education for 16 years. I'm really excited to be on tonight and um, looking forward to the discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Again, you guys are all awesome. And uh, as we mentioned before, the focus for tonight is we're going to talk about as educators, how we're going to have these conversations with our students going forward. We understand current events. We understand what's going on around us. And for students who aren't in school right now, this is extremely difficult because I'm sure there's a lot of emotion 
bottled up. And I'm sure they don't know how to handle that. Uh, they have nobody really to talk to. If it's not happening in school, it's not happening at home, I'm sure. Um, personally, I know we have three kids at home and our seven and five-year-old really don't know or understand the reasons why the protests are happening, but we're trying to be very clear and trying to exactly tell them what's going on around us. So we have those conversations and we didn't do the Sesame Street thing that came out recently, but I think the conversation in our household has been powerful. So if you have any ideas or you can share how you have been sharing with your students or your children, I'd love to hear it. Whoever wants to jump in, feel free. Well, for my own kids, I mean, we've, we've had them participate as much as possible. So when we marched, um, although we didn't know what the, the climate was going to be, we still had them um, there present to, to witness it. We knew that this was going to be history. And um, you know, for our family, we have a, a tri-racial family. So it was important to make sure that, you know, that they were speaking for their brother, who um, is black. But, you know, they wanted to make signs. They wanted to be a part of that. So um, we, of course, had that conversation prior to um, let them be a participant in that. And then we just uh, on Thursday night, we had another community event that we brought them to, um, which was a time of prayer where um, I think there was five different churches that came together at the courthouse. And um, it was a protest, but then also a prayer. So we are trying to just immerse them as much as possible and not hide from it. Um, we are a family that is mostly white. We know that we live in privilege, but we don't want to also ignore the fact that this is our reality and to make sure that they understand that this is a historic time for our country and they need to be part of the solution and part of that change. Thank you for sharing that, Josh. Thank you so much. Uh, I could talk a little bit from my perspective as far as my kids. I have three kids at home, too. Uh, my, my two oldest are a little bit older, 14 and 10, um, you know, and when they're um, seeing this and it's funny because we, we talk about how they're seeing it and they're seeing it through like TikTok or um, so through other mediums like that. And so they, you know, they keep asking me like what's going on. And so we, you know, we ha- we start having, uh, you know, really deep conversations. And even my 10 year old was like, you know, well, you know, I thought the cops were there to protect us and things like that. And so those are t- the type of, of, you know, questions and, and things like that that were coming out in my household. And I, t- I told them the story of when I was 19, how I got stopped by cops in Georgia. And it was, you know, uh, you know, implied, but, you know, because of the color of my skin, you know, um, I had a lot to do with it. And I think the only reason why I was let go is because I had a white friend in the van and we were off to do it. We were off on a spring break. You know, I told them that story. I had never told them that before. And so that kind of put, you know, what's been going on in perspective that, you know, somebody like myself, somebody like them, you know, when we see these things on TV or we see these things happening, because I know plenty of friends who've gone through this, that, you know, that this is something that that is happening and you can understand why people feel the way they do. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, that's how we have the conversation. Um, I asked them yesterday because I did attend a protest rally uh, yesterday um, in my hometown in Bergenfield. And, um, you know, they, they were they were a little apprehensive because they thought that. The protesting meant the rioting and the looting. I said, no, 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 no. I said, you know, um, it, it's it's not that. It's a peaceful protest. We're just going to walk. We're going to chant. We're going to do things like that. But they were still reluctant. So I said, okay, I'll Facebook Live it for you so that way you can see. And that's what I did. Um, so there's a lot of those things that we're breaking down, even in a household like mine, you know, where I am a minority. I'm a Latino male. Um, you know, my kids are Latino, born and bred. And, you know, they, they, there's still a lot to learn even from that perspective. And so you're right. You try to immerse them young, try to get them to understand really young. And I think that's one of the big, we're going to be one of the biggest challenges that educators need to do going forward. 
because now not only has the pandemic brought in a new normal, this has brought in a new normal. And we can't just sit around and just, you know, push this by the side, not anymore. Freddie, I appreciate that you brought up the pandemic. For us, I have an 11 and an eight-year-old and we just have very direct conversations. I'm kind of not, I'm not shielding them from anything. I'm having strong reactions to everything I'm seeing. My husband is a social studies teacher. And so, you know, we're having conversations. We don't watch a ton of news or anything like that. So they're not seeing a ton of the images, but they're hearing, you know, a lot of our dialogue and our conversation. And even in, so even if they're not engaged, like on TikTok and social media, they play, for example, Roblox, right? So anybody listening that's thinking the kids are gonna be sheltered from it? No, because my daughter brought up the fact that um, a person had called her a racist. And she's like, Mom, I don't understand why that was happening. And she explained the context of the game. So, you know, it's just being vigilant and being willing and asking questions like what, you know, it's just uh, what are you hearing? And and what are you concerned about? And, you know, we wanted to there was a nice um, gathering scheduled in our hometown. But my family and I have chosen to be very vigilant about not going out during this pandemic. So my child was super nervous and didn't want to. And then she very directly said, but mom, we'll, we'll go there and the police will hurt people around us. And I can't see that. And so she, you know, cause we're, you know, we're white and that's the center that she's coming from. So again, it just kind of opens up the conversation. But I think, um, since this is about engaging, we have to engage in those tough conversations with the, yeah. with the kids. Cause they're hearing it, they're getting it, it's seeping in. Right. Yeah. I think with the social media, you guys, you guys hit on a big point there. All of our kids, you know, even young as it's fourth grade, they're on the social media. They're they're checking out all these things on TikTok and they're seeing both sides. You know, I'm not a big TikTok person, but I know things just pop up. So you're going to see it both sides. You're going to hear it. And our kids really don't know how to decipher whether or not this is true or false. You know, yeah. this, 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 this media out there, they put it, as you just said, they're nervous about going out because they don't know if they can trust the police, if, if the police are going to hurt them or if they're allowed to actually speak their mind. You know, that's, that's really powerful. That The question out there is, can we actually trust police officers? Yeah. Go ahead, Sarah. You sound like you're going to say something. I don't want to interrupt, but we're, you know, we're in a small town and, and I do think that's a really critical too, is just making sure that we have good information on every side of it, you know, and making sure that we're um, humanizing everybody throughout this process and our work and educating, you know, our children and our, and our classrooms, you know, not sugarcoating, but making sure we're not dehumanizing in the way we're handling the conversations. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's really why this episode is really important because we need to put the conversation out there to our students. And we're trying to look at it as a PD right now. We can bring this to our teachers. How can our teachers do better? So Maria, I know you've been waiting to share. I don't know if you're ready to throw in a couple ideas. You work with students very closely in this regard. So could you share how you've been talking to them about this? Yeah, so one of the things that I've really, um, that I've been pondering a lot about during this time is how they're internalizing everything from the pandemic to, you know, right now what we're going through as a country. And so um, even for myself, and I think it's a practice that as individuals we should all have, and I, I really push my students to do this, is to reflect. Um, and so I, I have them, I remind them every day to write down what they're feeling and then go deep. So to ask themselves why three times on whatever it is that they're feeling because I think it's so important to first, like before having an actual conversation, it's important to recognize what it is that we're feeling and how is this sitting well with, how is this sitting with us, whether it's good, bad, whatever it may be. And that's step one and really identifying those feelings and, and where it's coming from, right? Because it might, it might come from an experience. It might come from just something that they saw. So that's important step one, I feel. And then um, step two is then, you know, I say challenge by choice, having them share out, but um, usually one of them, somebody will start and then 
they'll kind of go off on, on one another. And I think that that's just the foundation of any conversation because then it, it doesn't come from them speaking or myself speaking at them, but all of us kind of speaking from how we're feeling, what are those feelings? And then the, the ultimate part that I try to always do, and I call these like circle sessions is they have to create right questions. And so I, I strive that I, I stress it to them that it's so important that it's not just absorbing information like sponges, right? Because we're already automatically doing that on our conscious mind through the senses, but it's important to them think, reflect and create questions. Like, what is it that now I'm thinking, like, what, what are these questions that I have? And then the, the next part is to go find that, like, research, right? We have all these tools at our fingertips. And, I, and with the high school students specifically, and even adults, I feel like right now with social media, there's so much information out there. And, and I caught myself on this on Tuesday, like, this whole week, I was, it was almost like a flush of information. And so it's really taking all of that and then taking a step back and really looking into it, you know, where are these perspectives coming from? Um, and then analyzing it from there. So I think step one is really reflection um, to ourselves and even them. And I think it's so important for them to see us do that as well so that they can mimic that. Um, step two is to share that from a place of feelings and then questions, right? Them creating their own questions because now they're intrinsically motivated to do something about what they're curious, you know? So that's, that's, that's awesome. my that that that's fantastic that reflection piece that the reflection is fantastic by itself but then as you're saying to lead the conversation and, and with our students i think that's even better you know showing them exactly what it looks like and what it should look like and how you should feel bringing that empathy to the table is, is fantastic now for the listeners out there you're gonna hear some new voices if you're watching us you can see some new people popped in we have dan fade tony so i'm gonna let you guys run with this you just jumped in and appreciate you answering the call tonight talk to us and we are focusing on uh, how we're really going to have these tough conversations with our students. We understand what's going on in our world with current events, but we want to bring it to our students and help them understand and really put it out there as what they're feeling and how they should handle this and not just internalize it and be confused with the information out there. So Dan, Fade, Tony, thank you so much. I don't know if one of you want to take it. I'll be happy to uh, give you guys the floor. Yeah. Uh, Thank you everyone. And it's great to be amongst uh, my people who are out here trying to fight for equity for all our kids. Um, I think, uh, so just to give like a a small context for what I'm about to say. uh, So recently um, there was a school district, uh, Florence Township School District, where I uh, actually grew up um, in. I spent my middle school and high school uh, experience there. And when I was there, uh, there was something, whether it was intentional or not, there was this level of weaponizing uh, curriculum um, against students of color. Um, whether it be what they put in front of students, so very white-centered curriculum, white-centered history, um, and not thinking about that there are different students, different experiences that should be said and mentioned, um, and that the point of education there is to empower right kids, right? Um, special education program received the stigma, as many of us always talk about, right, in terms of um, these, like as, as a way to disempower students, put them on a track. Um, and in, our, in that town specifically, it wound up uh, pushing students into the jail system. Um, and so there, that was when I was in, that was when I was school. I graduated in 2010. Um, when I speak to people who were in the community at that time, um, they experienced the same levels of uh, racism and in the school district, in the community um, before 2010. Um, when you start to speak to more community members and family members and ancestors and people who were from that town, 
you find out and learn that this, as we've all been talking about in the resources, yes, like everything has been happening and we've been seeing this on the news and it's another explosion for the civil rights movement um, as we as we see it, but it's not new. And communities, um, specifically in New Jersey as well, right, have allowed this type of thing and teaching um, to perpetuate for decades and decades and decades over. And so now we're at this space where teachers are trying to figure out um, how they can stand up um, and I know that there, there has to be like a level of shame for a lot of them, right? Because they have been silent for so long. Um, and then how are we moving forward, right? And so when we talk about moving forward, I think the biggest thing before anyone starts to to take a book or try to ha- listen to kids or any of this stuff, they have to do the search within, right? They have to figure out like, what is their practices? What is, how do they show their like biases? And how can they then begin their journey to becoming anti-racist educators um, in all of New Jersey? So we can push the narrative and the conversation so that we're actually giving equitable education for um, all of our students, right? Because racism, we talk about, it it hurts the people of color the most. Um, However, racism still hurts everyone, right? You can still go into that school district and see even though uh, test scores and test data is is in that specific school district are completely disproportionate where you see um, African-American students are like in the bottom percentile completely, right? And you see the the white students um, and the numbers are there, right? The white students are performing extremely well. Um, However, no one is still passing in the school in general, so you'll have 50% of students who are white doing well, 10% of students um, who are black not doing well. Everyone is still failing, right? And so there's like this level of there's this level of creating actual systems within the school to do that. So if you're a special education teacher, it's about thinking about how you can actually serve your students well, um, whether it be the the, the way you analyze uh, your uh, your teaching data um, that you're receiving, and then providing the best services, partnering with the community into doing so, partnering with your school your school um, and doing so as well. If you're a school leader, it's thinking about how are you bringing anti bias and anti racist training to your staff, and we're not talking about like a one day training. Right. I'm saying minimum 10, right. 10 trainings throughout the school year um, and systems where you're tracking to see um, how you're implementing anti-bias and anti-racist education for your schools and for your students. Because like we said, you can't if you're if racism exists and you're not addressing it because you want to be silent, um, you are being racist. Right. And so the idea is, is that you have to then be anti-racist against the system and pushing back for it. Um, so there's like a couple of things that have been coming to mind. I know there's resources all like Google, the resources are there. So there's no excuse for you to, I guess, continue to be silent. Um, move, like as we're thinking now about the time and the space we're in. Um, but I think I, I really, truly, I really, truly think that it's important. And I could say I can share resources after this, but I, I really think it's important that if you are a white teacher and in, in New Jersey, I believe that's 80 percent plus. Right. Um, educators in New Jersey. Uh, if you are a white teacher, it is behooves you to do the internal unpacking yourself. Um, and once you do that internal unpacking, um, then thinking about then how do you then empower the voices of your students who are students of color? to really truly feel like beautiful in the skin that they're in um, and that they can make a change. And then it's also empowering the other white students to be allies, to be on the side um, of your um, of your students of color who are cl- clearly continuously oppressed within our systems and how we all can use our voices collectively, collectively to fight for equity. I just want to piggyback off that if I could, because I, I loved what Fade said about um, training the teachers. And, you know, I, I, what I don't want to see is for, I, I guess, schools and teachers to, I guess, jump the gun. You know, but that might be a really poor way to say it. I don't know how how else to say it, but um, you know, don't put the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse. Um, you know, don't think you can go in and have 
difficult conversations with students if you're not ready for it. Um, you know, Josh hopped off of the call for a few minutes, but Josh and I have spoken before a lot about when it comes to student discipline. Um, you know, having teachers trained on de-escalation strategies so that you don't escalate situations beyond where they need to go. And to be honest, uh, I think that's where a lot of teachers need some training to, uh, you know, sensitivity training um, and and understanding, like Fade said, their their own biases and maybe even microaggressions that they don't realize that they're doing. Um, but by understanding them and sort of sensitizing them to that, uh, you know, to, to really make teachers understand where they're coming from so that they can approach students in a respectful manner, but in a way that is going to empower the voices of the students in a, in a really responsible way. Uh, I'm I'm going to jump in and, uh, you know, the word training, when we talk about this, um, you know, when you think about PD and training, something like this is not so much training, but more of a culture shift as far as what you're thinking, um, as far as what education is nowadays. You know, yesterday I was on a chat, you know, you, you, you know, they got the, a lot of Saturday ed chats in the morning. And so I was one of them and the topic was eradicating racism. And I was like, that's going to be kind of hard to do. It's something that's been around for 400 plus years and then all of a sudden coming in and trying to think, how do we eradicate racism in education? Uh, the, the fact is, is that, number one, you know, that's impossible to do because we all have some sort of bias in us in some way, shape or form. And it's a matter of us recognizing those biases. And that is hard. The conversation is hard. The 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 the, the 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 continuation of that conversation is hard, and I, and it needs to be those tough conversations have to happen. You know, we've talked about you know discussions and you know talking about it, and, and I think they said internalizing it and really self reflecting. I think that's where you have to start. I think Maria said the same thing. We got to start with ourselves and looking at that. But a lot of us can't see beyond you know what we're thinking, and so there has to be some sort of a catalyst to get that thought process started, you know, the school can be that place. Our, our educational institutions can be that place, but it has to be something that has to be kind of perpetual. It has to be keep on going in order for it to be continuously effective. Because listen, I'm old enough to remember Rodney King and the LA riots. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, you know, Amadou Diallo and all of these injustices that have happened in the past. And it's the same thing over and over and over. We've been through Eric Garner. We've been through, you know, Sandra Bland. We've been through all of these. And still, it seems like we've hit the tipping point with the, with, with George Lloyd here. But the thing is, is that are we ready as a, as a system of education to really tackle that? And I think that's the biggest question that I've always had is, are we really ready to have those tough conversations? I work in a predominantly minority district. I work in Newark. I work in a school that is 70% Latino, 30% African-American. And we had these conversations in February. And I'm telling you, it was the toughest couple of weeks that we had just trying to get this into an advisory, the pushback that we were getting back and forth, because people are have a hard time with the topic. And we're not just talking about people like myself, African-American teachers, you know, teachers who are not, you know, have not had that experience. It was tough, you know, and the question is, are we ready for that conversation? We have to be at this point. We have to be at this point. Yeah, Freddie, I, th I think you're correct. I think as educators, we have to have that responsibility. And, and I think you know, we have a good friend, Danny Kennis, who actually responded to to a 
post I put out there. And she said, people are too afraid of the political aspect of this. And they don't think about it as, as actually talking to people about what's going on around us, that it's going to get too political. And I think that's where the problems start. I think everybody has this fear of, oh, I say something wrong, I'm going to be viewed in one way. But I think you know, we need to have those conversations. As educators, we have to allow our students to know what's going on because they are the ones who are going to continue to push forward. We're stuck in the situation. You mentioned several different names that, that the fact that you have to name them and you have to bring this up, that it hasn't changed since the 1990s and even 400 years ago, that this is this is something that we still have to focus on. That becomes a problem that we can't have these conversations with kids, that history is going to continue to repeat itself. And then we're back at this. I hope to I hope that we're not. But we need to make this change. and We have to start with our students to understand how they can make those changes. And if, if I can just jump in real quick. Um uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm with everybody. I think that what we, I think that what we're ultimately going to need, um, is to make it uh, like as, as complex as it all is, as difficult as it all is, um, we need to make it simple. And I think anti-racism should not be complicated. You know, like the work is complicated, but the idea that racism is wrong is not complicated and it shouldn't, if it's complicated for you, then you shouldn't teach. You know what I mean? And I think people start to make it political and they start to pick things apart and they start to say, well, this isn't racism. At the, at the very baseline to say that all people should be treated equally, respectfully to, to start from there. Um, and then to, to have a definition of here's what racism is to say, here are actual here, here's what it where it actually has been in our society you know since the beginning to, to say that right to not just say when we're talking about American history and just say here are all the great things that we've done but to say hey look this racism thing look it's it's been here and it was never dealt with right it was never fully dealt with so I think like when I you know my kids are fourth grade uh, my daughter is three my daughter is three and it's a conversation that I have to have with her um, and you know, to the, to the point that she can tell you what racism is. Now it's a much more simplistic definition than, than it's going to be when we're talking to staff. But, um, you know, in, in talking about black lives matter, it, it should not be a controversial statement, right? The, we have to get to the point where saying those things, we're saying we need anti-racism work and anti-racism training is not something that makes people bristle and get nervous and think, oh my gosh, they're coming after me. Nobody's coming after you. We're saying that this is this is necessary. You know, I, I had a friend um, who um, is a, a firefighter and he was talking about how, you know, it's kind of weighing on him. It's affecting his son that, you know, he, he's white and he's saying that, you know, his son has experienced people talking about racism to him or calling him racist. And, you know, is it that white people need to you know, it's not enough to just be white and not racist. You have to be against racism. I'm like, yes. Yes, you do. Right. And so that, you know, the fact that he's a firefighter, um, I'm, I'm actually trying to work on making a graphic of this now. But I'm like, listen, it's it's uh, if you're race like racism is a fire. Right. And then the country is the house and the house is on fire and you can you can put out the fire. If you're anti-racist, you fight it with water. Right. So if you're anti-racist, you're actively trying to put out the fire. I'm like, that's what you do as a firefighter. You put it out if you're not racist then you're, you're not doing, you're watching it burn, right? You're watching it burn. And then you're complicit in the burning of that house. And then if you are racist, 
you're like you're going to pour some gas on it or you're you know throwing more matches on it you can be one of those three and i don't think it should be controversial to say you need to be the person that's putting the fire out it's just a matter of how we get that into teachers minds that like this is non-negotiable all right tony so so you, 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 you led me to i'm sorry for that one second i'm hope this will this will piggyback i think we have the why right we have why this has to happen now how do we get to that how how do we get to those conversations how do we i'm not going to i don't want to use this word but how do we convince and put in quotes how do we convince educators and the public that this is the conversation that we have to have the same way we did it with bullying nobody nobody wants bullying ain't nobody nobody said when they're bringing an anti bullying nobody was like no 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 we're not going to do this we're not no we're not fighting bullying no there's no nobody bullying. said it's protect not real. bullies <laughs> you know what right nobody's like listen we can't do this we're gonna harm bullies you know what i mean and i feel like this needs to be this needs to be dealt with in the same way it needs to be dealt with in the same way and and that's not to say that all of the anti-bullying measures have been effective right because the way that we're handling that is a whole nother issue but it needs it needs to be viewed at the very least on on par Right. I, I would say that this goes before that, because a lot of the bully behaviors that we're seeing are stemming from issues that, are, that have not been worked out in terms of in terms of race. Right. So I, I think that all of that, I think that that's in, in if you have wherever the model is for the way that things are being you know, put into place with anti-bullying work, um, everything is there that's needed to have a framework for anti-racist teaching, anti-racist training, um, you know, it it needs to it needs to be something that everybody digs into. I think you make a really good point about you know when you talk about bullying. The one common thing that everybody had about anti bullying was that everybody was behind it. Not every necessarily that everybody was behind the way it was it was set up, but everybody was behind the fact that you shouldn't have bullying in schools. Like everybody was the same idea. Like this has to be something that if you're going to make this work. And you're going to put in the work. This has to be something that's committed from the top all the way down to the bottom. You know, you can't have one level of a school system say, no, 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 this is not going to work. And then the other ones are like really clamoring for it. It's not going to happen. It has to be concerted effort from all aspects in order for that to work. And so that's a great analogy. And putting it in that perspective, like it's it's just like that. We, we, I think, fundamentally are agreeing that racism bad. We know this. You know, but I don't understand still why are a lot of people, you know, just not realizing that this is something that we really have to discuss and talk about and put measures in place to make sure that we're teaching our kids that this is the way to go. I, you know, great point there. If I, if I can jump in too, I think that's, I want to say that like, if it's, if it's the right thing to do, then we need to do it. Like there's no ifs, ands or or buts about it. If it's going to make people uncomfortable. That's just the way, the way it's going to have to be. I mean, it's important, just like bullying or any other, you know, really hard-hitting topics that we got to cover. You know, I, I do restorative practices in the school, and that's unfortunately a, a really hot topic, um, just like grading or something like that. But the reason we challenge our staff isn't because we want it to be comfortable. We challenge them because we want a better school and we want a better system. And so just like we talked about, like, defunding the police and all this about reform and, and making changes there – the school system is no different. There are things that are in practice that are from generations of racism that are put there to slant the system toward people of white color. And we all know that. So instead of staying in there and letting it continue, we need to say, no, 
<laughs> this is wrong. I don't care if it's uncomfortable. We're going to, you know, look through this, reflect on it and make the changes that we need to make. Definitely like to add on to everything that's being said. Um, and I really think about, especially when anti-bullying was brought up, um, how I think that it's so important to be proactive because I, I often see that it's almost, it's sometimes treated like a checklist, right? Like we've done this program. We, we put this on this shirt. The signs are up, but the signs don't mean that like, like sometimes it, it, even now with, um, uh, I saw it a lot with, even in my school, um, with the jewels, you know, no jewels. And it's just a poster and the kids, you know, they're walking by it, but it's not making a difference. Right. So even when, so it doesn't just start, it's not just like putting something in place. And I think someone was saying it before, you know, just going into the reaction of those, but really like it's, it's, it's something that needs to start from the ground up. And, and in order to, to reach a place of being comfortable enough to do it, because I think that's so important, it's that it has to be a movement that everyone, everyone in the school is buying into. And even if, even if not every single person is on board, it has to be like a majority where you're pulling, like the, the, the car is being pulled over to one side. And so, you know, when I think of trainings, I think of the training, I almost feel like it has to be like an experience. And it has to be in part training has to be someone coming in and having these conversations, these small circle conversations, open, like open forums where, you know, even if it's identifying certain, it has to be like active. It, I definitely don't think it can be something that, you know, it's in an auditorium. Someone is like, there's a, there's a speaker speaking at the staff because then it becomes, I don't want to do that. And everyone continues to have their, their, the, the guard up of not wanting to be the one to have the conversation. And then you have two, three people that buy into it. And, and that's not enough. Like, I think, right. I think even as we go on with this topic, the I almost think the how has to be more towards the training piece, right? That training piece is so important because ultimately everyone in their classroom, like they're going about their time. And that has to be something that even is a practice, is an implicit practice, right? Everyone having a voice in the classroom, everyone being able to participate, allowing that that quiet time. So it's like, okay, we're going to wait five seconds before, you know, it's not just raise your hand, okay, here's the answer, the new person answers. Like it's so many little things that add up to the big picture and it's like the hidden curriculum, right? So it starts with, I think, before having the conversations with the kids, it's so, so needed, it starts with having the conversations amongst one another as a staff. And and then it's even, and I think that the first part is even like the feelings, but I've noticed that, you know, I do um, retreats or I'll do camping retreats with the students and with some of the staff. And, and even when I've, some staff are, are for sharing their feelings, many are not. Many don't want to, if they don't, if they don't see it, it's like, well, this is, I teach this, especially in the high school. I don't know if you guys see this, but it's like, well, I teach math, like, or I teach, you know, history. Like, this is what, this is what the curriculum is. I don't have time to do that. So it's really like getting out of that mindset. And if we don't break that mindset, I feel like things won't change. It'll continue to be a checklist of, you know, okay, well, we did this. We have, I have the sign in my classroom, right? But it's more than a sign. It's a, it's a continuously everyday practice. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I was, oh, go for it, Chris. I think you're absolutely right. But when we talk about training and professional development, you know, there's this probably 70 year old mindset, you know, where, oh, here's another mandate. Here's another program. And 
you know, a lot of schools and districts fail to see things through when we talk about like a math curriculum or a language arts curriculum. Uh, but when it comes to things like this, and, and I like what you said about, you know, we need adults to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, we ask our students at all levels to take risks. We ask them to fail forward and not be afraid to fail and learn. And a lot of teachers still today are afraid to take those same risks in front of their students. You know, I'll be honest. One of my favorite things to say to my high school kids is, I don't know. Let's figure it out. And that's kind of where we need to go here. And we need to be made to feel safe. I know here in New Jersey, and we have a bunch of fine New Jersey educators here, we have the Amistad curriculum in place, you know, K through 12, uh, to infuse not just spot and, and highlight, you know, th th that history, but to infuse it and make it a part of, you know, our teaching and, and our students learning. Um, but we're going to need to see bigger things happen and more people need to look inside and say, you know, who am I? And who do I want to be and how can I help my students realize who they are and who they want to be? And that, that starts that starts at home, that starts in pre-K and, and, you know, as long as as we've got their attention and their eyeballs. I think everything that I, I want to hear, which is I want to hear what you're saying, Chris and Maria, and I want to echo it. And I want to talk about like there's this idea that um, folks talk about teaching as something that's not political. Um, and we continue to see this narrative brought up every time we ask for social justice for, for children, right? And I think that when a teacher's actions can almost determine whether someone is going to be successful, I'm, 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 amongst the myriad of different um, uh, elements that impact a, a child's directory, but a teacher being a very huge part in it, like I, I could go on here and stay for and talk about for hours of teachers, counselors, whose words, actions, and impacts literally limited a child's future and destroyed them, and they wound up in the prison system. That is that is a fact that is real. And the fact that you have that power, your job is political. At the same point that you have that power to empower your kids to be able to, 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 to work and rally and fight against the system and critique the system that exists in order to make it better, um, it, is, it is almost... I don't know if the word is funny or it's 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 insulting to think that your job is not powerful, is not important, and is then thus not political, um, right? And so when I know AJ said that, and I don't want to take away from what AJ was talking about, we need to come up with the, the how we do it, um, but everything that I've been hearing so far has been this theme around not actually knowing why you teach. If you're saying your job is to empower kids, your job is to make sure they can truly see their dreams and their futures, then you can't just be a quote-unquote math teacher. You know what I mean? You can't just be a quote-unquote English teacher. You have to be a teacher of the human and the soul and the body, and you have to be able to empower kids to then just be able to reach that. And then in order to do that, you then what, what do you have to do? You have to learn about this. You have to research about it. You have to understand the different things and inequities that exist that truly prevent our kids being able to reach that 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 ideal of being able to critique our society and make it better right tony talked about like the idea of being a what's it called uh, an anti-racist as someone who takes a, a hose to water down the fire and if you don't know what it is and why you teach you will always be that person who's racist you will always be it. and if you honestly don't think you should be a teacher then honestly get out the way i'm sorry friends because we don't we don't need it for the future of our country yeah, you can, can say that again. I'll, yeah, I'll, right? I'll repeat it. If you can't do this, get out, retire, yeah. quit, and so go find another job. 
I don't know if you all saw, I don't know if you follow Teaching Transform, wonderful Liz Kleinart, wonderful um, anti-bias, anti-racist educator. Um, she literally was on um, Instagram and on Twitter saying that there have been schools, districts who've been reaching out to her for one day trainings, for one day trainings. Well, this is, we can fix this in a day, right? Eight hours, right? Just sit in the cafeteria. You're no? supposed okay. to the years and the decades of racism that has been that has been ingrained within you, right? And how you practice and teach it in a day. And we all know that's not true. We all know that's not going to happen. And so, if anything, yeah, if you're going to, so if you're, so the how, right? So once you get down to the reason, you you go back and you search within yourself why you teach, what is your purpose, what is it you want and hope for society right? As a teacher, the how is, then you then, once again, need to go back into yourself and you need to read those books, read all those things and figure out what it is you need to do that you can start, like what it is you can start doing in order to be anti-racist. And once you start figuring that, figuring that out, it's then thinking about how are you empowering your students in your classroom, right? And I believe it was Hackensack, was it, that uh, it was organized by a student in Burlington County, protests organized by a student. There are students organizing these protests because teachers are empowering them, and when these students organize these protests and these teachers are powerful, we see something, we see a political shift. Your folks are resigning from office because of these kids protesting and these, and these kids organizing these things. And so when you think that you don't have an impact or you're thinking, oh, it's just my classroom, what I'm going to do, your classroom can change the world. It can change, it can change the school. It can change so much more. And, and, and I love what you say there because by working with students, we can change our school. Our students can go out and have an impact on the community that they live in. I got my social studies teacher hat on. And then they will go out beyond the community when they, you know, go off to college or, you know, career readiness, you know, wherever they go, what are we instilling? What are the values that the K-12 educator is adding to who our students become? I, I see the same thing. You know, I, I, I teach high school in New Brunswick and a lot of my teacher friends, you know, are able to be up there and, you know, they live near the community. So they, they saw high school students in the marches. And, you know, I've been listening to podcasts, of course, podcast PD, and, you know, I'm seeing all of these teachers and people just talking about how it's young people. It's this young generation that is not sitting there and taking it. You know, I, I talked with my own students this year about how, you know, we look at primary source documents and I, I know Maria can, you know, test this too, that, you know, Whenever we learn history, we learn about, for, you know, what, what the white adults did, the white male adults, and typically it's just adults. You don't get that young person perspective on major historical events in history. That, that's different now. 50 years, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, we're going to look back at the YouTube channels, the Instagrams, the TikTok, all the content that young people are putting out, just sharing their experience and telling their story. That's what's going to help to shape and change the narrative because- it's not going to be some textbook written by insert publisher name here, scripting it out for us. There's going to be all these other resources out there to say, well, what really happened and how did we get to where we are in 2030, 2040, et cetera. Can I just jump in a moment, you know, from my perspective as an administrator and trying to work with um, a variety of staff over the years and where I come from, my context is Northwestern part of Wisconsin, really tiny towns not a lot of diversity and just um, hearing the passion in the voices. And I feel that passion. I feel strongly about that passion. I've been doing the work in myself um, for quite a little while. And I'm thinking about the teachers that um, are not engaged in this. And here's what I would say is I remember the fall of, um, I suppose it would have been 2017. 
2016. And my comment about what we were facing with a lot of the racial issues and, um, and what I mean by that is a lot of conflict in our student population was I said, schools are a microcosm of what's going on in our world. Like the kids are seeing it. We're seeing it. We are part of systems, right? And so when I think about that and I think about all the conversations and the passion that we're having, I agree. Like we have to work to dismantle it, but we have to remember that schools are a system and they're another system of systemic racism. And so we have a lot of individuals who are in the systems who have their why figured out, but it's very misdirected in regard to this topic, right? And so when I think about that, and I think about if I were still leading in a building, for example, in the fall, I'd be working my butt off right now to be gathering resources, to be making sure that I am very directly having this conversation with my staff, because I know many of them are not cued in, first of all. And when I look at my own social circles and where I live, I am a very small percentage of a person who believes the way I believe. And so that's the context that I'm walking into as a strong-minded person who believes firmly in the fact that we need to use our resources right now. But it's a a heavy um, call right now. And it's not just a small individualized piece like we were talking about. Like It's got to be all hands on deck, but that's going to take strong leadership to get there because just like we can't dismantle the large systems of racism, we're in it. You guys, ladies and gentlemen, we are in it. And so when we start to talk about how it's like, wow, I mean, that's big. I think that's a big topic. Um, but it does start with us and, and our work and our um, individual work and making sure that we're right and we're not perpetuating a system. And one example that I want to give, because I know we have a couple of English teachers on here. Um, I, at one point, taught to kill a mockingbird. And of course, like I'm I tried to make sure that I was incorporating um, history and we were looking at the context that it was set in and the context in which the author wrote it. Right. But it still was missing the mark because I wasn't cued in on that white saviorism piece. Right. And here I am. I go, I know it now. Right. So we, we just, I just want to say that there's some grace in here too, to a degree, but it now's the time to like push forward and push hard. So I think there are going to be enough people that are going to want to engage in it. But we're still going to have resistance in our schools and in our teaching staff. I mean, it's it's going to be there. You're going to have colleagues down the hallway that are not going to agree with you and your passion and anti-racism. I hate to have to say that. So in, in I, this group, I, I'll, I'll find out, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. I'm going to just name drop a couple of stuff then um, real quickly. Uh, people, uh, organizations to hit up, um, resources, people who are like close to me and things like that. Um, I wanted to talk, I wanted to uh, echo what Sarah was saying, um, this level of you, you don't know, but then once you then go and look for it and find out to know you, then you know so much more and then you're able to act upon it as opposed to staying and waiting for it. And I think that a lot of it has to do with your own desire for de- like developing yourself as a person. Um, as a human being and as an educator, uh, because you know, once again, what your why is, right? You know why it is you do the work and that's why you're able to make that shift and move. And I think oftentimes we talk about educators who are unwilling to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of resistance for a lot of a, a lot of different reasons. Um, I think that if you're an educator who is not willing to make the shift or the change, um, it is, I, I would, if you're not willing to make the shift and change and you are a white educator, I will, I will just ask the question again, why is it that you teach? And leave it at that. Why is it that you teach? Let me drop some names first. Um, some just a couple people off the top of my head who are out here actually doing a lot of the anti-racist work. Reach out to these folks. Um, they're willing to work with your schools and things like that because it's not enough to to as a leader. I don't think leaders. I don't think principals and leaders should be leading this conversation. I think people who've spent their life work um, working on this and are experts in this. Right. I think those are the types of people like you know who should do this. Right. You don't hire um, a friend to consult to you because you know that they've had experience at the doctor's office. You hire a doctor. 
right? And so these are the people who have been working antibiotics and anti-racist. So I would um, I would definitely reach out to folks like Jamila Pitts. I would reach out to folks like Britt Hawthorne. Um, the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond is another organization that actually participated in a lot of their undoing racism and uh, the amount of folks that went in. And it wasn't just educators. It was folks in all types and walks of life. Because remember, this is a system. The system of racism is what is existing. We're all fighting against it. So that has to be a space in the conversation for us to participate in it. Um, Kelly Wickham Hurst runs an organization called Being Black at School. Um, another another folk and person you should reach out to to do the training um, at your schools. Um, that's not, once again, the one day. It's an actual system-wide level training for all leaders and folks. And then another one is um, MAPSO, which is in Maplewood and South Orange Freedom School. Uh, just to drop some resources, if you figured out your why and you're looking for folks who can come to your schools and you can, um, once again, uh, use their expertise, right? Of course, not for free, because that's not what we're doing out here, right? Um, to help and, and, uh, and help develop your staff and people so that you can start being anti-racist educators. So let's think about that going forward. In this in this conversation right now, we have teachers, we have leaders, and, and Fide, you had mentioned bring the people from the outside in because they're the ones who are the experts who are really going to make this shift within us. But as we start the planning for the next school year, leaders, teachers, where are your thoughts going and how do we tackle these difficult conversations with the current events that are happening, with everything that's going on around us to make this change? Where do you see yourself starting? Where would you want to start? what's what's realistic and what is something that you would love to do, but maybe we'll say the funding, maybe you don't have the funding for right away. Um, I, I, I definitely know that a lot of this is going to be curriculum. I think a lot of this is going to be curriculum because if we're, if we're talking about, you know, why people teach, some people teach because they love the subject matter, right? Some people just really love math or social studies. Um, and I feel like th- what we're doing right now, just like we're all talking about it, this this is history right now. And I think if, you know, a textbook in the future has Black Lives Matter in it, and if it doesn't have everything connected to the past that shows 400 years of Black Lives not mattering, then there's there's an issue, right? Because teachers should be able to see that phrase and think, oh, of course, right? I mean, especially if you know history at all, you should be able to say, "I, I understand that because this is what happened in the past. You know, here's the legacy of it right now. There's a reason to assert that Black Lives Matter, right? And, and I think that's like, that's like basics. And then when you go deeper into the, in every part of the curriculum, you think, well, what books are we reading, right? What, what books are, you know, are on tap? Um, what, what mathematicians are we looking at? What statistics are we looking at when we're in math? What do our, math, what do our word problems look like even in elementary school, um, what scientists like ev- everywhere it, it needs it needs to be understood that the stuff that's going on right now is not just um, it's not just a moment. Right. It's it's not just the moment. It's a part of everything that's gone on before. And it's building towards what the future is going to be. So I think, you know, part of what I'm doing right now is I'm looking at what the curriculum is going to be. Um, moving forward as well. And that means what, you know, what are the, what do the teachers know when they come in? I think that one of the questions for, you know, when, when COVID hit and we were doing the distance learning thing, I said, I think one of the questions that every administrator is going to start asking a new hire is what would your distance learning plan look like? Right. And now I feel like in, in light of this, I think that one of the questions that every new hire should answer is, you know, how are, how is anti-racism, anti-racism showing up in your practices as a teacher, right? Or how will it? 
you know, to prove that you are committed to, to being that. I think that those are like baseline beginning of the year things, right? That's a conversation I have with your staff on that first day. Instead of like these icebreaker questions, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, what was your, you know, how many toilet paper things or, well, you know, whatever, whatever it is, um, address that, address that directly. And, and I think it, you know, we're all saying like it, it may be uncomfortable, um, but I think it is, it's so essential that it's something that can't disappear. It, it can't be gone from the situation. I'm actually going to hop in and based, based on what you just said, Tony, when I talk about education technology, I always like to provide people with something they could hear about today and use tomorrow. What is something, and we can go around the horn, what is something that an educator K through 12 can do almost instantly to take a step forward? Um, I would say clearly, now, are you saying for themselves or in the classroom? I guess it has to start with personal growth, which can lead to how you are as a professional, which can then impact your students clear understanding and definition of racism and anti-racism. And uh, the, the books are everywhere, right? Stamped, White Fragility, uh, How to Be Anti-Racist. All, all of the reading is out there. All of the experts are out there. They're tweeting. Um, it, you, can, you can find it if you, if you want to look for it. And so I think having a clear definition of this is what racism is. And, and that's not to say, like, um, you have to know every instance of racism, Right. But to be able to say, here's what racism is, um, here's what it looks like systemically, here's what it looks like individually, and then here is what anti-racism looks like. I think start starting right there, if you know, that's a place to agree. That's a place to say, well, I, I know that anti-racism means that I'm going to do something to fight against racism, and whether that is, you know, um, it, you know, if if all I'm ready to do at this point is, you know, tweet against something that was racist or call someone out, call an educator out who tweeted something racist. I can, I can stand up to that and say, Hey, you know, my followers will see that I'm calling this person out. I think that's a step. So I think defining racism and anti-racism and actually acting on it is a, is a first step. Yeah. I want to go on top of that too, is defining what racism is, not just outright racism. I think that word for a lot of white folks is something very large and big. And I don't think their biases understand that there are small little microcosms that are occurring every single day that are racist. And so I think we really need to dive into what racism truly is and put that down as a baseline, because I think there needs to be some folks that are enlightened. Um, I, I think they are not going to do it themselves, <laughs> unfortunately. And I think the resources need to be presented. I think everyone needs to do an assessment on themselves. What does their privilege look like? What do their biases look like? I think, honestly, school systems need to do, go through and do that through everything as far as what does the curriculum look like? What are the textbooks look like? What do uh, the grading policies look like? What does the discipline look like? I think a lot of biases are in play for a whole scheme of things. Um, dress code, you know, things you don't even think about there is a slant or a bias there that um, is affecting usually one group of students. And I think everyone needs to do an assessment, not only personally, but as a system. Yeah, I think, um, you know, identifying what that is, um, not only racism, but what that, what does that mean to me? And then taking that a step further and saying, how has this impacted this, the education that I'm providing my students? Um, you know, and how has that played a part in how I teach and how my students learn. 
um, and and really and really take that into heart because a lot of times our bias is implicit. We don't see it. You know, we don't see how it affects our students sometimes. But being the reflective educator that we need, you know, teachers to be, we have to sit really sit there and have them think about that. Has it has it ever played a part um, in how you know my students learn? It, it could be anything from the way the curriculum is written, where there's just not enough talking about it to just simple things and how you know a teacher might act out because the kid is acting a certain way, but we're not in tune to what's going on, you know. Um, and how the culture affects that and how what happens at home affects that. And so, uh, again, it kind of talks about, you know, your why. Why are you here? Why are you doing this? You know, in high school, we and I, I think Fadeh had said it, we kind of kind of we tie, we kind of tend to put ourselves in categories. I'm a math teacher. I'm a social studies teacher. I'm an English teacher. But a teacher wears so many more hats, you know, um, and, and we have to bring that to light. How do you... Um, you know, put that into perspective. And a lot of it is a lot of thought. It starts with us saying, you know, well, where have, you know, how have I shown my bias in some way, shape or form? Because, you know, whether we like, we want to admit it or not, we all have some sort of bias, you know, recognizing that and being uh, attuned to that is going to be a huge key to be able to then move forward and look at how that's being reflected on my students. If I could jump in, thank you so much, um, Freddie, for saying that, because I thought but we have to get to our unconscious biases and we don't we haven't been doing that in the school systems. You know, we're not we talk a lot about um, culturally responsive practices and we hear a lot about, you know, the why behind it. But we don't hear a lot or at least in my space in the world and what I've seen, we're not digging into the how of that. And a huge part of that is that bias that we hold within us. Um, so like Chris, you had asked what the first steps were. And before I swap out here, I wanted to mention, um, I love that Tony had mentioned books. Uh, you know, White Fragility is a really good one for the white educators. Um, Ibram Kendi is putting out such great work. But I also want to mention if you're tapped out of reading and you're not interested in that, hey, a lot of us are podcasters and you're listening to this, you're podcast listener. So check out, um, there's so many different podcasts out there that, you know, I'm sure we could link. But I found Brene Brown had um, Ibram Kendi on Unlocking Us this last week, which I thought was really good to help. Um, if you haven't ever been able to delineate between what a racist is versus an anti-racist and knowing that you can actually be neutral, I love how Tony had described that about the fire hose, but just a really great um, less than an hour listen, and you'll be cued in pretty quickly to that. So, Something that Freddie said that really um, resonated with me was when he said, you know, being in tune. And, and I feel it goes, it just goes back down to being in tune with ourselves as human beings um, before we go into work, before we go into step into the classroom or into the school, right? And I think that sometimes something that I see is that, um, you know, when a person is in a state of peace or calm, they're also able to take a step back or not so much react instantly on certain situations, right? They're able to either, like, use their reason, um, deal with situations in a different way, in a more calm perspective. Right. And, and a lot of times I feel like there's, there's, it, it begins with also the culture in the school and how, how the climate, how everybody feels, right. How everybody feels walking in our teachers feeling like, you know, if I say that, if I say the wrong thing in the classroom, am I going to get in trouble for it? Right. If I'm, if, if I, if somebody walks in on me and I'm not, 
um, and, and I'm a math teacher for I say math because I don't know. But um, if I'm if I'm a math teacher and I'm not having a conversation about math or we're not doing a math problem, is that going to then come come after me? These are conversations that that I have had with with teachers as well when it comes down to when I've asked questions about, you know, having conversations with the kids, um, social, emotional learning. And, and these are, this comes up a lot. And so the sense it's, it, I think it also, it's important to go back to the culture, the mission of the school. Like it's not only the classroom, it's not only the teachers, but it does come, it, it comes from, it does come from the top. You know, the, the way that, the, the, the way that you speak to the kids on the first day of school, um, you know, the way that you welcome the, the teachers on the first day of school, like that in itself, if it comes into like another, a mandate perspective, you know, it, it's again, it, it comes down from, it's got to be something that it leads by example. It's a practice. It's not like I'm telling you, but no, we're doing this. Like I'm, I'm doing it. We're doing it. Right. And, and I think that that's important to continue forward because even with teachers, you know, it's not just again, the classroom, but then also helping them have a space even, I don't know, maybe that's part of PDs or part of these meetings has to be a place for teachers to have these conversations with one another. Because sure, it could be an like, it could be an initiative, right? But then how is it going to continue? And having that, giving them that time to collaborate, to come together, to see what patterns, how, how they, how they can be better, right? That reflection, incorporating reflection, not only for students, but incorporating reflection time for teachers. It doesn't just have to be, you know, plan, plan, plan all the time, but simply a lot of times reflecting because it's really in our reflection where we realize, oh, this is what I can do better. But a lot of times we don't have the time to, or we don't make the time to step back or reflect. And that's really, you know, I feel like a lot of times in education, I we're in a, a, a continuous reaction mode. And, you know, if we take a step back more, more often than not, then that's when we can really, you know, see things from a different light, from a different perspective, not have our guard up and then actually be able to have genuine conversations with one another, with the kids. It, it starts with conversations and being at a state of peace and calm from within. I'm going to jump in here, if you don't mind. Um, Go ahead. Uh, please welcome uh, Jill Dobrowanski <laughs> to the show, friend of the podcast, and, and hopping in. Actually, Jill, before you make your point, uh, we do want to say thank you to Josh for hopping in. Uh, apparently, kids are not good for podcasting, and he had to <laughs> put his children uh, to bed. So make sure you do connect with Josh on Twitter. He is at Joshua underscore Stamper. And make sure you check out his website, joshstamper.com, where he also hosts the Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast. Jill, go ahead. And, you know, I've been kind of just kind of sitting in the background and listening to everything. But one of my concerns um, as a privileged white female is that we will define racism into the box that we wanted to fit in. And then we will then train our teachers and, you know, provide the support that they need and not really still get at the heart of the matter. And to me, that is my biggest fear at, in education, especially here in New Jersey, is that, you know, we always we have a tendency to put things into a curriculum, put a nice cute little bow on it and then say, okay, here it is. And here's how you teach it. But yet it doesn't get to the realness of it. It doesn't get to the experiences that our kids are feeling. And 
it just um um I am hesitant to say that okay, here's how we define it and here's how we're supposed to teach it because then we're losing the realness of it and we're losing the, the the true experiences that, you know, some of our kids, some of our parents, some of our brethren are all feeling. And I, I don't want to lose that. And that's my biggest fear in New Jersey, at least. I think you make a great point um, in regards to that. I, I think we, we've had that conversation about, you know, looking at this from, a PD standpoint versus a culture shift standpoint, really looking at how do we come in and make it real. Sometimes, you know, we, uh, I think Fadeh had said something about bringing in people who've actually gone through this and who've actually done the work. And that's a, a huge part of that. But we can't always get that, right? Because for whatever reason, budget, what what have you. Um, the And I think, you, I think you've seen a lot of this, this particular phrase, um, you know, I, I can never understand or I, I don't understand, uh, but I stand. So um, it's it, a lot of it is right. Experience is a huge piece in this. Not everybody in a situation, you know, has been pulled over by the cops and have had to clench the steering wheel to understand that experience. But in some way, shape or form, you know, you might not have you don't have to go through that. but You have to at least understand that that is a reality in today's society, you know, that's where we talk about, you know, if you put things in like a a PD presentation or something that's mandated, you're not going to get the experience of that. And uh, AJ, you're going to like this because I'm about to pull up dare to lead quote for you, from you, uh, from, from, from Brene Brown's book, but it is that a concept of the comfort level. You know, we want to kind of like, just do this and get it over with. That's it. You know, we don't want to, you know, we, we, we want to tackle it, but we don't want to tackle it in a way that's real and true because it's uncomfortable, you know, and we talk about it and she talks about vulnerability a lot in the book and it's true. The one thing about that is, is that we are afraid to be vulnerable in a lot of situations. This conversation for a lot of people makes it vulnerable. I fear what comes out of these conversations. I'm fear that I'm exposing myself in some way, shape or form that I may have bias, that I might deep down be a racist and not know it, you know, but that's the conversation that we need to have with each other, you know, and, and us internally to say, you know, damn, I, I, I have a problem. I really have to look at this from a different perspective, you know, and it's that kind of like that light bulb that kicks in and says, Oh, you know, that's how we begin to make that change. You gotta be, you know, you might not be as authentic as you can, but you try to get as good as you can. You try to bring people in who have experienced these things, you know, but if you can't, you got to at least be able to present the experience. A lot of people don't get that and they need to be able to, in some way, shape or form, to at least see the experience. Yeah, just, I, I mean, 100%. Um, and to, to piggyback on that, I think when we're talking about... um you know, the the definition should never be um, the same way that you're talking about it, Jill. The, the definition should never be like just something that you put in a box, right? And it, or it's like up on, you know, in the office and you look at it and you say, okay, this is what it is. This is what we do for that. No, it's not like that. Um, but I feel like uh, there's a, there has to be an understanding where you, where we say that we know, we know racism exists. We know that it's in this system. We know that ra- it, racism is in every system, right? Because they were all created with racism at the root. 
And I feel like to say, here are some of the ways it shows up can be helpful. It shows up in the books that we have in our classroom. It shows up in the in the people that we teach. It shows up in the people that we don't talk about. It shows up here, here, and here, right? These are the ways that it shows up in our classroom. And I think that, you know, there there may be pushback there. There may be educators who hear that and say, well, that's not really racism. But I think that's that's exactly the conversation that needs to be had. Um, that there there are concrete examples of how racism exists throughout the education system. And I think those things need to be a part of that challenging conversation because, you know, you don't have to be white to uphold racism, right? To uphold white supremacy that can, that can, it doesn't matter what color you are. If you're within the system and you're not fighting against the racism, then you're upholding it. And so I think that that, that piece is important too, that, you know, there are lots of things that we, there are lots of places where we see it, and where we see the effects of it. And here are the things that we can do to fight against it, right? Here's something, here's how we counteract that. So I think that maybe defining those things that we can do to fight against these specific, you know, these specific uh, situations, I think those definitions might be, uh, might be a little bit more helpful than saying, you know, racism has one definition. Because if you asked uh, the six people on screen, I bet we would all describe it differently. Yeah, and I mean... I'd just like to read something that one of my fourth graders. So I have um, I I work in a very um, affluent area. It's very Caucasian, but we do have a population of um, of black students. And one of my fourth graders. So nine. Oh, I'm sorry. He just turned 10, um, wrote this over social distancing. Um, we were working on poems about color and this is what he wrote. And this is a student who has been very disconnected from, from distance learning and is just, you know, not feeling the love right now and is very, is really struggling with it. So he wrote this poem. He said, the color black reminds me of my skin color and how black people had to live through crisis. The color black is probably the strongest color in my, in the nation country. Black people have gone through black leaders getting killed and racism. We had to fight our own battles and win in different ways. And so, like, to me, like, you know, here you have this fourth grader who is very disconnected, very, you know, very unaffected by school is writing this. And I am saying as as an administrator, as an educator, okay, I like I've connected with him and I feel so. I feel so much love that he was able to share that with me. But at the same time, it's like, you know, these are our children and this is how he's feeling. How do we change this? How do we 
make those systematic changes, which is a bigger, bigger question that we're ever going to answer here tonight. But at the same time, it's like we really, really need to be having these conversations and really, really need to be thinking about our kids because at nine and 10 years old, for them to understand what it means to be black in America and the fact that he feels so disenfranchised breaks my heart. That's not the only place that I'm hearing stories like that. Um, to to bring it also to podcasting, I listened to R2C2 with Ryan Rucco and CeCe Sabathia, former uh, Yankee pitcher. And in their last episode, CeCe Sabathia was talking about how he brought his, I, think, I want to say he has four or five children, that he and his wife brought them to some protests and some rallies this week so they, they could be positively proactive. And he said that that he has now had to have the, these conversations that we're talking about. He's had to now make his youngest children aware of who I think are, you know, between the ages of seven and 11, somewhere in there. And it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And I, I think that people will be able to listen to the the round table and conversation that we had here in this episode and, you know, be able to pull the resources. Again, they'll be out at podcastpd.com slash 76. And, and we'll pull as many as we can. If not share this around, go watch the video over and over and over again, share it with your friends, all those wonderful things, but then take action. That That's why my last question was, what can somebody do tomorrow? What can that first step be? What content can people consume? What conversation can people have? What can they listen to? What can they watch? Who can they connect with? And I think, I forget where I heard this, but you know, when people want change bad enough, change will happen. And it doesn't matter what color your skin is, when you want change and enough people scream and yell and are advocating and, and putting their voice out there, it will happen. And it's a shame that it's happening now, but better now than never. And we can build on as a society around the world, we can build on what has happened and we can move forward and we can make this change happen. Chris, I appreciate those words. And I think, you know, listening to everybody tonight, listen to these ideas, I think really it starts from within. Right, asking yourself the questions, asking yourself the why, as Fade had mentioned, um, reflecting as Maria had talked about, as so many of us had said, you know, it's it's really important to figure out what we're trying to do, what we're trying to get out of this, and and how we can be better, how we're going to serve everybody, um, make this a critical conversation, no matter how uncomfortable it is. I think it's time to put it to the forefront and, and really make the changes. And whether it's curriculum, whether it's in your own classroom, um, try to branch out. Because I think that's one of the problems that we have is when we look at our own classroom, it's our own little bubble, right? We're stuck there. We talk to our students and then they move on to something else where it will never be brought up again. So leaders, it's time to actually be real. It's time to actually take the step, make the change in the school that you want to see so the kids can then go out there and change the world. And it's going to start with us as the educators. We, we're, we're the ones who have to really get it going. Don't convince teachers, don't demand teachers, but put it in their head that this is important for us to do for our students. Speaking of important also, um, as we start to, again, 
we're not going to solve the world's problems or even this particular niche issue in education in this one episode of podcast PD. Um, I, I saw in the chat earlier, I think Tim from the teachers on fire podcast, uh, he tossed out there. How can this impact the interview process going forward as we bring teachers into the profession? So I think that that's a separate conversation for what does this look like for an administrator? And, you know, we've got one on staff, so to speak. <laughs> um, Two, we, we got lots of people here. Freddie's here. AJ's here. Jill is here. Uh, even little Al in the waiting room, um, who Al, we will get you on in a second. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, we do want to make sure that we do let you know that. Uh, make sure you connect with Fade. Uh, he is at OJFADE on Twitter. So make sure you connect with him. Um, and we also want to thank Sarah for stopping by as well on Twitter. She is at Sarah. S.A. Johnson, that'll be in the show notes. And you can go to her website at sarahsajohnson.com. She also has a podcast, which is the In Awe podcast, inspiration to amplify women and empower a community to rise. Uh, check out her hashtag, In Awe to Rise, which is the hashtag. Uh, sometimes words are hard, even for me. <laughs> um, AJ, what, what else we got? How, where do we want to go? Before before we close out, I know we, we've been doing this for a while and we appreciate you guys for being on the panel and sharing your thoughts and appreciate the listener. Thank you for hanging with us. Hopefully you are reflecting. Hopefully your eyes and ears are open and you can start making that change within. Uh, I know we have Al in the waiting room. I'm sure Al has something powerful he wants to share. But is anybody on the panel, anything that they would like to close out with before uh, we bring Al in? I want to share something that I... Yeah, I'll say something real quick. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Go ahead, so, go, ahead. go ahead, Maria. Go ahead. I definitely, um, well, I think I, up until right now that I would like to do on the first day of school um, is an, uh, an activity where the students would have two pieces of paper. And um, on the one piece of paper, and we do this together, um, they would have to, they would, we hold that piece of paper with our two hands, um, close our eyes, and just visualize um, how our world is, how they see the world right now, how they see the world. What does it sound like? Um, it, who Who's in it, right? Uh, what's going on? And to really like sit in those thoughts with their eyes closed and to really visualize it and then open their eyes and release their hands, release those thoughts, right? And then grab the, another, the other piece of paper and then in that, close their hands, visualize what they would like their world to look like, feel like all that. And so I, I envision doing that experience then having them journal and reflect and then creating an action step of what they can do in, in the, their every day. Like every day, what are three things that they can do to make that vision of that world and to even write that description of that world in the present tense. And so I, I envision having them having this be a part of something that they hold on to every day and possibly even at the start of class, I mean, I, I teach ESL, English as a second language. So, I mean, I can say, right, I can use this as like, this is our writing activity for every day. We're practicing our skills. So part of having that journal and having them read that present tense script to themselves of what they of what they wrote, that they want their world to look like, feel like, sound like, everything. And then those action steps. And, and I think that it's those little things. And if that becomes a practice of every day, it then becomes something that subconsciously you're always looking towards doing things for others, practicing gratitude. Um, and so, you know, if, if 
little things like that. That's something that just has really stuck to me and I plan to do that. And so I just wanted to share that with you all before tonight ends. Thank you for sharing Maria and real quick, Maria, how can people connect with you if they want to continue to learn with you? I'm looking at my, my um, Twitter right now. I am MC underscore Fernandez on Twitter. I knew that. It's just that whenever I see it, I always think Mick underscore Fernandez. Absolutely. <laughs> underscore MC Fernandez. Underscore MC Fernandez. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Um, it's because I got to drop off too in a second. But um, I, what I'm going to say is it might seem like a no brainer, but especially to administrators, teachers who are watching, I mean, listen to your kids, listen to what they have to say. They're more in tune than you might think about what's going on with today's society, especially with what's been seen. You got to remember, a lot of these protests that have been organized, they've been organized by students. So we're, we're, we're doing something right. We're, we're, we're having kids or we're teaching kids that they need to take action when they feel something is not right. So listen to your kids. Administrators, get in those classrooms, well, virtually at this point, but get in there talk to them, hold round tables, listen to what they have to say. Okay. Listen to what your teachers are saying, you know, and give them the opportunity to really create change. You know, as teacher, when I was a teacher, I always said, let's, how do we take what we're learning and put it into action and in the community? we even within our own homes. How do we make it work? Listen, and it's going to be more important than anything going forward. Listen to what they're saying. Thank you guys a lot for giving me the opportunity to be on here tonight. I really appreciate it. And just in the, in the presence of some great thinkers in here. And I love it. Thank you guys. Thank you, Freddie. Freddie, thank you. And uh, please, how can people connect with you to continue to learn and grow alongside you? So um, I'm on Twitter at Fred E 52. It's on my, it's on the screen there. Uh, You know, hit me up and uh, we can continue this conversation over there. Thank you, everybody. Tony. Yo, um, <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna leave. I want to leave you with um, uh, amplify black voices. Um, you know, always important, but especially now. And uh, and you know, the several ways to do that. Uh, I was just invited uh, to uh, to to be a part of a uh, a conference coming up, an online conference. And you know, my first question was, uh, is is this an inclusive group? You know, is is, is there a diver- Is there diversity within? Uh, the speakers who were invited and, uh, you know, the, the person who was putting it together um, was, was happy to say yes. And I feel like um, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the BIPOC that I, that I know um, are, are doing that. So, and, and I think that we'll see uh, a seismic shift when um, all of the, the white folks are, are doing that as well, you know? So um, it may be, um, it could be ISTE, it could be TESPA, where, wherever it is, um, just f- asking that question, asking that question before you either attend or or speak somewhere um, will kind of, you know, it, it will it will put that in the minds of the people that are organizing these things. And I think as we talk about interviews as well, right, like what does your interview panel look like when you're when you're bringing people in, um, to, you know, talking about hiring. So, um, yeah, this this is I think this is really healthy and I really appreciate um, you know, being involved. Uh, I, I've taken so much from what, you know, all of you and, and other guests were saying. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm better for this. So thank you. Tony, thank you. Don't be a stranger. <laughs> and, and real quick, before, before you hop off or, or, or you go, um, where can people connect with you? What is your 
uh, Twitter, Instagram, however you want people to say hey. Yeah, I'm right. Uh, where is it? Wait, uh, right here. Uh, at he rhymes with me um, on on Twitter, Instagram, um, tonyjackson.com, t o n e y jackson.com. It's my website that I don't update enough. But uh, yeah, yeah. Hope to see y'all on the socials. Nice. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. All right, AJ. Let's turn our attention to Little Al. <laughs> oh shucks! Hi guys, Little Al. What do you got? Good to see you. You too. Yeah, you know, I was, I was listening to what Jill was saying before, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm in the in the same spot. I'm in an affluent school, and my thought is, you know, we're three days away from the end of school, and there's going to be no mention of any of what's going on in the world, and it's probably going to kind of. Um, you know, just going to go unnoticed and then it's going to be September and it's, how do we, how do we deal with this? But how do we deal with it so that it's not, we talked about it at the first faculty meeting and we had a guest speaker come in and uh, that's it. It's done. How do we make this like, uh, you know, a, like the most important priority that we have to, as a school community address, you know, and not that it's we're just addressing it at the opening faculty meeting or the first week of school and then it just goes away. Like, how do we keep doing that? And I don't have that answer, you know, but how do we keep doing that and make it just a part of who we are culturally? You know, and and, and that's I, I think is key for, for any school that we just got to it, it can't just be a, you know, um, uh, we, we hear about it once or hear about it twice or we, you know, we heard a guest speaker or whatever the case is. It has to be, it's got to be a constant. And because we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to look at it in from a different angle if we're not exposed to it in a different angle. And I, Al, I totally mm-hmm. agree, Al. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> um, I, I agree with that. And I think that that goes back to what Tony and Freddie were both saying is that, we have to listen to our kids. And that's why I felt it was so important for me to read that poem. Like, you know, as short as it was and as, you know, not, you know, you know, prophetic enough, but it said so much like in those couple lines, like if we remember to continue to listen to our kids and listen to the what they're feeling and what they're experiencing, then we can, as leaders, you know, begin to move that conversation forward. But if 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 we're if we're putting our own privilege, if we're putting our own experiences, if we're putting anything that we we've we bring to the table our own biases to it, then it's, it's not going to be worth of anything. Like if we can frame it in a way, uh, and I, I I don't even, let me take that back. I don't mean frame it. I mean, if we can present it in a way where that here's what our kids are living, here's what our kids are feeling and then bring in the world perspective. Here's what our country's going through. Here's what our communities are saying. Then we can start the conversation and move it forward. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, um, you know, it's that it's that constant uh, questioning of of staff and students. Um, you know, it, it should be normal to ask your students, 
uh, did you feel affirmed? You know, I mean, like that's a, that's a conversation to have with them about, you know, like how you, what language you use for that, um, you know, maybe different depending on the grade level, but did you feel affirmed in any of the lessons that you experienced? Did you feel affirmed in your conversations with your teacher? Did you feel affirmed in other places in the school um, or the opposite, right? Um, and, and then, you know, you ask your staff that. Were there things that happened that made you feel belittled? Were there things that happened that made you feel less than? Were there things that happened that, you know, uh, that made you feel uh, that you were, that let you know that you were supported, um, I, around issues of of race specifically, you can do that. But you know, those are those are questions that that have a, a much wider um, wider scope as well. But I mean, you know, it, what if that is a check in in your staff meetings? You know what I mean? What if what if that is uh, is something that you as a as an administrator talk to? You know, have in an, in an email or in, a, in a, a conversation? You know, how whatever that looks like. I just feel like those type of questions. Um, need to be continually asked because, you know, just like Al was saying, like it, it is something that goes on. Like, you know, um, just like, you know, even uh, Kenny says in the, in the book, anti-racism is a, is a process, right? It's something that we continually do. It's never like, oh, I'm here. It's never like, oh, now I'm anti-racist and I don't have to worry about it anymore. You have to make sure that you continue to practice that every day. Just like racism is something you do. Anti-racism is something you do. So it's going to continue. And I feel like checking in is something that we need to get comfortable with. I like the idea of checking in. And I I think it relates to what I was going to say in that, you know, to Al's point, you know, similar to anything else we do in education when we get trained on something or there's something we like about what we want to do in our schools and our classrooms we tend to gravitate to and find the people who are also excited about those same things. So I think this is, or can be similar where just identify the people who are also passionate and interested in doing when it comes to these changes and connect with those people in your school and in your community. And I, again, there's power in numbers. And one example I saw is I, I, saw the attempt at a couple of ridiculous hashtags on Twitter that tried to, you know, excite the other side of this argument, the side that we really don't want to hear from at this point in time. And, you know, it was completely shut down by this whole other group of that's like totally different. So again, if we use our voice and we connect with the people who are excited and passionate and will do something, connect with those people. And I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm saying it can be an answer. I think it's part of the answer, but I also think that we have to ensure that we are incorporating the voices for everyone in this and also being active listeners at the same time. And I don't mean that like flippantly. It's like we really just like we're doing here tonight, like we really need to listen and be engaged and make decisions about how we can now become better and how can we become um I, I, I don't even have the words like how can we just ensure that the voices are heard that need to be heard and not just ours. And I don't mean that flippantly. I mean that wholeheartedly. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to hurt and it's going to take time and it's going to be a process, but we have to ensure that 
we are engaging and actively engaging in that process. Absolutely. And as, as David uh, Frangiosa said in the chat earlier tonight, nobody ever learned anything being comfortable. And, and, and to go along with what you just sure. said, Jill, you know, again, AJ, we both mentioned as history people, you know, this is like 400 plus years that this system has evolved and, you know, was put into place in terms of how society acts around the world with this stuff. I hope it doesn't take 400 years to undo it, but it's not going to happen after, you know, we wrap up this one episode of a podcast. It's not going to happen after one professional development speaker comes into your school. It's not going to happen in the next year. But again, are you taking your own individual steps to listen and act and do for your students what needs to be done to empower them, to inspire them? And have them continue the work as they go through our school systems and go off into college or career and ultimately the life that they choose to build and live for themselves. Does that answer your question now? Yeah. You're right. That's true, though. I mean, it's 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 it's, you know, and, and I think too trying, you know, I think a lot of people that I work with just don't understand the other side of everything. Like they just don't understand, you know, one of my friends said to me before she, she was in a, uh, she, her, her, I guess her ex-boyfriend, if you will, um, how many times he had gotten pulled over um, because he was black and, you know, he was just driving like for no reason. And I'm like, I, I don't, I, I'm trying to put my grant, my head around that, but it's like, I still can't like, I can't, and I'm trying, but there are people that I work with who would just be like, you know, they don't, they just, you know, you got to think about what, what is, what is each kid coming in with every day, you know, and, and, and what is, you know, where, you know, something that I might not think is biased and sensitive or anything really is, you know, and really taking a look at everything. We were talking about reflection, everything that I do, is there, is there something in here that I don't even realize is biased or I'm doing something wrong or inappropriate that I don't even, that, that I got to figure out that I'm not doing, that I'm, that I'm doing it to begin with, you know? And I think that involves a ton of, of that reflective practice and, and, and looking at everything that we do and, and say, Hey, this is, you know, I had no idea, you know, I had no idea this was, this was something was, it was inappropriate or, you know, uh, and then owning that and saying, okay, I got to do something about it. Well, if real life starts to emulate social media, your people are either going to realize it for themselves or you're going to be called out on it because I've seen more bold tweets and Instagram posts uh, than I ever have. And I'm seeing all sorts of people being called out for things that they've put out there. Men, women, black, white, doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of people being called out. So eventually you're going to get caught. Yeah. You're eventually going to get caught. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, I'm not representing, you know, all i'm not even gonna talk about it jill before we wrap up how can people connect with uh they can connect with me on twitter at mrss mrsd mrs d 122 at twitter.com awesome jill thank you for being a part of the panel and popping in for a bit we always appreciate you thanks guys thanks jim al anything else i got nothing and how can uh, people connect with little Al on the socials? Just Al Spiegel at Twitter, because I, I tried to, I was thinking to change the, the, the handle to little Al, but like there is only one Al Spiegel. So to make it little Al, it's just, I don't know. I can never get that Al Spiegel back in case someone else wants to take it. So 
It was a tough I, one. I, I can enroll you in my $20 revamp your Twitter course. I'm kidding. I don't have one because okay. that would be silly. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, I, would, I probably would have bought it anyway. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Al. Always a pleasure, guys. In. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, Al. Thank you. Yep. All right, AJ, I'll be blunt. That was a hell of a conversation and a uh, bit of a podcast we put together tonight. Uh, it's not us. Uh, thank you, everybody who joined in the panel. Uh, so many names, so many great people, so many great ideas that giving your time to show your dedication and the the way we can to change the world going forward, it's not going to start. It's not going to be easy, but there's a starting point. And, and I'm really appreciative. And just waking up to so many different ideas that were, that were shared. I think uh, reflection, looking within and really changing your thought process and, and figuring out the why, as was mentioned earlier, uh, figuring out why you're doing this and how we can be better to do better for our, our students and our community. Absolutely. So yes, thank you to everybody who popped on and joined us tonight. Uh, thank you to Maria and Fade and Tony and Sarah and Josh and Freddie, and Jill, and little Al. And Dan. Anybody? Dan Krinas. He was here too. Dan, Dan, Dan was here. For, thank, thank you to Dan Krinas as well. Is, is that everybody? That's everybody. But again, everybody, thank you. Yeah, if you're yeah. listening to this at whatever hour mark this is, that says something about you. And I know, you know, it was pointed out to figure out your why. And, and I think, and I think this way because I get stuck thinking there's other educators like us. And I forget that there's quite a few educators who are not like us and who don't take the time to reflect and want to make change and who really love teaching because it's their calling and they enjoy being with students, but forget, you know, we're teaching the whole child and dealing with current topics and dealing with trauma and dealing with everyday situations is part of our whole child. And we need to make sure that we're not just focused on a curriculum, but we are changing the curriculum and, and highlighting these ideas. So we make connections so students understand you know, point A to point B and what happens in between to get where we are today. Absolutely. All right. Um, a couple of quick things before we head out there, there, there were a couple articles that AJ and I took a look at that we didn't bring up here in the conversation, but we will link to in the show notes. Uh, one is called 10 ways to talk to students about sensitive issues, uh, a New York times piece from a couple of years back. Uh, and also uh, an article also from the New York times titled 15, classroom resources for, uh, sorry, this one is from Edweek. This was, uh, it's 15 classroom resources for discussing racism, policing, and protest. And uh, a couple of lesson plans you might want to consider uh, from the New York Times. This is called First Encounters with Race and Racism, Teaching Ideas for Classroom Conversations. We will link to both of those in the show notes for this episode out at podcastpd.com slash 76. And AJ, I don't know if you had a recommendation, but I definitely want to share mine because it was very eye-opening for me as I listened today. Um, we've talked about this podcast before, Throughline from NPR, where they examine a current issue in history and they kind of trace it back and connect the dots, the Throughline, if you will, through history. And this is from their June 4th episode of this year. And the title of the episode is called American Police. Uh, the description of this episode, and I do encourage you to listen to it. Uh, is black Americans being victimized and killed by the police is an epidemic, a truth many Americans are acknowledging since the murder of George Floyd, as protests have occurred in all 50 states calling for justice on his behalf. 
But this tension between African-American communities and the police has existed for centuries. This week on Throughline, the origins of American policing and how those origins put violent control of black Americans at the heart of the system. So you want to get educated, you want to learn something, go and listen to this episode of Throughline. Yeah, I'll throw a recommendation out there as well. As I was going through, you know, on my podcast, it came um, a, a NPR podcast was kind of just linked to a lot of different NPR podcasts. Um, so I'm going to recommend the podcast Code Switch. This is the first time I've listened to it. And, and the title alone kind of grabbed me um, in an unfortunate way, you know, especially what's going on around us. The title of this Code Switch episode is called A Decade of Watching Black People Die. It's from May 31st. And... Um, it focuses on an article that was written five years ago by a journalist and how the killings of black men uh, feel very familiar. And the author of that piece speaks during this episode where he kind of talks about a lot of the uh, murders that happened and even the, uh, the events with Rodney King and how even to this day, 20 some odd years later, even more, um, that everything kind of like rolls into each other and there hasn't been change. So he kind of reflects on his, his writing and it really kind of, it, it, it's really eye opening. And to think about the fact that we have to continue this conversation so many years later that I've said it before history repeats itself. And unfortunately this is the repetition that we're seeing and, and really hope that society wakes up and, and lawmakers are making changes that, that this doesn't happen anymore. If not, remember to vote my friends, remember to vote. Um, so those recommendations will be in the show notes out at podcastpd.com slash 76. And before we say goodbye, we also wanted to let you know that, uh, we do want to shout out our executive producer opportunity. Uh, so did you know that you can support podcast PD as an executive producer? You can support this podcast on a monthly or a yearly basis. You could support the show by donating either say $5 per month or $50 per year. Uh, as a thank you for your support, every executive producer will receive a podcast PD sticker and yearly supporters will receive a podcast PD mug and a podcast PD t-shirt, kind of like the ones AJ and I are modeling today. Uh, if you'd like more information about that, you can go to podcastpd.com slash executive producer for more information. And we want to shout out our current executive producer, Adam Kelly. He is an administrator from North Carolina. Adam, thank you so much for your support of Podcast PD. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. Really can't express the uh, the emotion we felt when we saw that. So so thank you so much for your feedback. Thank you so much for your, your, your uh, benefits to the executive producer. Congratulations. Welcome. Yeah, there you go. We get an executive producer and we immediately run out and produce a two-hour episode of the podcast. <laughs> Boom. Boom. There you go. All right. Uh, again, this is going to be, you know, the first conversation. Again, th the point of our podcast is to help you do something better or different in your classroom tomorrow. And hopefully you have a little fun with AJ, Stacy, and myself. So that, that's it for this episode of Podcast PD. Say goodbye, AJ. Goodbye, AJ. Say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Podcast Goodbye, PD. Bye, Podcast PD. Yeah, and the wave. <laughs>
Thank you for checking out this episode of Podcast PD. For links to everything that we discussed in this episode, you can visit the show notes at our website, podcastpd.com. To connect with the show on social media, we are at PodcastPD on Instagram and Twitter, and we share using the hashtag PodcastPD. To connect with Stacy, AJ, and myself, we are on Twitter at Mr. Nessie, at IRunTech, and at AJ Bianco. We would love to hear from you, so please go to PodcastPD.com slash feedback and send us an email, send us a voice message, whatever you need to do. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you share it with somebody that you think would get value from it. Word of mouth is the best way to share a podcast you enjoy, and we hope you enjoyed Podcast PD. We appreciate you listening, we appreciate your sharing, and we love creating this podcast for you. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care.